You're listening to the Check 6 podcast, brought to you by editors from across the Aviation Week network. Listeners now have access to special subscription offers, including 30% off Aviation Week and space technology. Go to podcast.aviationweek.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Check 6 podcast, brought to you this week from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. I'm Joe Anselmo, Aviation Week's Editor-in-Chief. I'm joined by my colleague, Sean Broderick, our safety editor, and our special guest, Dr. Barry Butler, the president of Embry-Riddle. So Dr. Butler, um, really interesting. When I went to college, um, if you wanted to become a pilot you, uh, at an airline, you generally had to pursue a career in the military. We came here, and it seems that all your students are, uh, have jobs waiting for them when they leave. The pay's a lot better. It just seems the climate uh, to become a pilot has really improved. Well, it certainly is. We, um, I think the times have changed from when you were describing there. And the uh, typical route now is um, you know, students coming out of high school that are interested in aviation careers. Um, you know, they know right away that uh, from your writings or your magazine and other productions that the demand is pretty high and uh, they move along through the programs. We have a lot of the um, the employers, you know, the airlines and others that are that are working with them from uh, day one to, to, to obviously recruit them. And uh, the whole pipeline, as I like to call it, um, you know, is um, is moving along quite nicely now. The pay is up, the opportunities are there, and um, it's it's a very good time. So you were telling us uh, that, that you also are, are facing this climate. Uh, your instructors last, I guess, for an average about one year, and then they're on to, to new jobs in industry? Yeah, part of that pipeline that I referred to is that, uh, you know, we obviously at a place like Amber Riddle and other schools as well need um, qualified instructors. And um, here on Daytona Beach, we employ roughly 200 uh, instructors at any given time uh, for flight. And um, those uh, individuals have jobs waiting for them before they start with us. And so they, they know that uh, when they finish their, their degree, they can uh, work with us for about a year as an instructor. And uh, they have a job waiting. So, um, so we have to pay particular attention to making sure that, that they are up to speed as an instructor right away. And uh, in other words, we have to train them in how to uh, be a, 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 an instructor pilot. And that's, uh, that's important. And so we have special programs devoted to that. So when they get in that plane for the first time with their first students, they're, they're up to speed. So, of course, the university is perhaps known most for its, uh, its pilot training. However, a minority of the students, about 7,000 students here at Daytona Beach, and, and you know, a minority of them are actually flight training students. You do a lot more here to prepare a lot of people for careers in the industry. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other areas and maybe some of the expanding areas, uh, including engineering, which is not necessarily aviation or aeronautics? Yeah, the uh, the programs here really it's it's built around four major colleges. You know, obviously aviation um, and, and not just in the professional piloting there, but in meteorology, uh, airline operations, all of the all of the parts to that air traffic management. But also engineering, we have a significant engineering program here. Um, a lot of the students do go eventually to work in the aerospace industry as engineers. Um, we typically will have a hundred or so companies here recruiting. You know, in different parts of it, whether it's in avionics, whether it's in um, you know, sort of uh, production. Um, 
business side of it is is growing. We have a college of business. We have a significant interest in the um, uh, trying to make sure that we have the talent that's needed out there. So we work closely with the industry. We have industry advisory boards. And as an example, a couple of years ago, we we, we learned that you know there's a significant need in the supply chain side of of um, manufacturing. And so we we put in additional courses in that work to try to prepare our students for careers where uh, they're in the manufacturing world and they understand supply chain and the related areas. Um, you know, the uh, the other areas we have in, in terms of the, the basic sciences, meteorology, and we started a new program recently in uh, aerospace physiology. So, um, you know, attracting students that have an interest in working in the human side of, of space and, and aviation. So understanding the human physiology, understanding um, the pilot, uh, the uh, sort of the interactions, uh, whether it's in, um, you know, different environments, whether in space or in an aircraft, etc. So we continue to sort of look at what's the growing need out there and what's the future of of um, aviation and aerospace that is still our core mission and it always will be it's um, we look at um, everything associated with it but we still try to stay around that core message that's in the name of our university we noticed your faculty and your students are also doing a lot of uh, cutting-edge research into cybersecurity. As, as we go to connected airplanes, obviously there's more of a risk there, but also drones. You, know, you don't want someone hijacking your pizza when it's coming to be delivered yeah, by a drone. Absolutely not. Uh, but, uh, but those are good examples of areas where we have, um, over the years, uh, had feedback from, again, from our advisory boards and others in the industry and, and just our knowledge of what's out there to try to look at things, um, you know, what are the growth? areas you mentioned uh, security as one particularly in the cyber side of it so we've uh, we've developed programs and research as well so ad- academic programs educational courses um, teaching students about the vulnerabilities um, in what is effectively now you know I think most of our our next generation aircraft will be kind of you know viewed as sort of flying computers I've heard that term before um, but uh, but there is a lot of connectivity there is a lot of opportunities for people to uh, to take advantage of that. And so making sure that our students understand it from an educational point of view. Uh, and secondly, doing research in it, understanding uh, ways to protect uh, those flying computers. Uh, even in our, our maintenance program, uh, one, of the, one of the areas we got feedback last year from an advisory group, primarily airline people and others that, that are from the uh, maintenance repair, um, is on the maintenance side, making sure that those working on the aircraft understand the vulnerability. So when they plug a laptop into a bus, they understand what it means to have a, you know, a, a PC or a laptop that is uh, that is secured, um, and then uh, making sure that students, when they come out, have that have that knowledge. Um, so yeah, the cybersecurity is a big area. Uh, again, we've learned that from industry um, data. You know, that's another area we've we've really addressed recently. Is the with those flying computers is the you know the, the vast amounts of data that um, that flow um, through them, and and not just through the aircraft, but also through uh, whether it's a spacecraft, whether it's the airline operations. And so having students who understand how to sort through all that data and pull out relevant information. It's one thing to have, you know, terabytes of data, but you need people who can understand where the important uh, nuggets of information are within that data. You've talked a little bit about the pipeline that obviously is created with the university preparing students for careers. But Embry-Riddle's connection to, to the aviation industry and, and the community, or at least around here in Daytona Beach, it go, goes beyond that. We, we visited the Micaplex where there is a, a business incubator. 
and uh, some other projects going on there. Can you t- talk a little bit about some of the other ways that Embry-Riddle and, and, and the aerospace industry collaborates? Yeah, you know, Florida, being in Florida, you know, the, the aviation aerospace business is a, is a significant part of the economy. And um, it's not just, uh, you know, the Cape. It's, uh, it's a huge part uh, that, that spans many different dimensions of aerospace and aviation. So, you know, being a, a university located in Florida, not too far actually from the Cape, we, um, you know, it's, it's natural that we would be a part of not just uh, providing the workforce for that, uh, those, need, those, those industries and those needs in the, in the future, but also also uh, driving the economy. So our um, our research park, uh, which is fairly new, it's been around for probably, you know, maybe five to eight years now, um, has taken on, uh, you know, a mission of, of providing incubation space uh, for new companies that are interested in getting into the um, aviation and aerospace world. Uh, related businesses, um, you know, if you look at the industry, um, historically, a lot of technology has come out of um, aerospace development you know, dating way back, you know, hundreds of years ago. And uh, and that continues. And so as you see, you know, the evolution of technology in, in aircraft and rockets, uh, you're going to see that migrate into other parts of society. And um, we have businesses that are not necessarily what you would consider a an aviation business, but they are using technology. Uh, I think maybe one that would be a good example is, uh, you know, some of the additive manufacturing technology that's out there right now that's, that's being used in, um, in producing some of the nozzles for the rockets that are going up and components on aircraft, et cetera, are also being used in many different industries. And so there's a natural synergy there, and so we provide that space. And, and those businesses that locate at the Micaplex, um, they understand uh, th- their number one uh, you know, sort of uh, measure for success uh, is going to be based on their ability to get talent. And um, they're sitting you know, literally a quarter of a mile from 7,000 students who, who, who would love to work in those industries. So, so it's, a, it's a location issue as well. And then just contributing to the Florida economy is, uh, is important as, as this continues to grow. I know at the state and uh, state house in Tallahassee, you know, again, aviation and aerospace are, are big uh, parts of the, uh, the future of the state. And so we're, we're trying to do everything we can given our expertise. Wanted to swing it back to uh, to pilots for a moment. Um, a hot topic in this industry is obviously, uh, can we move to single pilot cockpits? Your uh, your team here, your your staff and your faculty are looking into that. What does that involve? What are you looking at? Well, you know, we all have to understand that as you know, ever since the the days of the Wright brothers, you know, the the, the field has evolved over time, and and the role of the pilot, the role of the equipment, the technology will always continue to change, and and clearly there's conversations and there's work going on out there in the single pilot environment, just like in the uh, zero pilot, you know, the autonomous aircraft. You know, when you look at the single pilot environment, um, I tell uh, the industry that uh, that there are a lot of issues that, that have to be understood. Uh, there's the, the human factor side of it, you know, the, the uh, single pilot working with a machine versus having a, a second person adjacent to them in terms of uh, sharing ideas and, and, and looking at solutions, etc. Uh, the human machine interface um, what role does artificial intelligence play in the uh, flight deck versus the uh, human oversight uh, of the um, decision making um, a lot of those issues that uh, that are are important to the future of that uh, we have the ability to address we have 
We have, uh, I think, uh, pretty significant laboratory facilities here. We have uh, faculty with a lot of expertise. A lot of our faculty do come from industry or the military, so they really understand more than just the, the theory. They actually have practiced it. And, uh, and then we have a lot of uh, what I'll call test subjects, so to speak. We have thousands of, of uh, students at various levels of training that, that anytime you do um, you know, research-based inquiry into questions like what is the role of a particular type of instrument in a single pilot uh, environment, you need to have uh, you know, a spectrum of individuals to sort of test that and look at different responses. And so we're, we really are, I think, in an ideal situation to be looking at some of that and helping the industry. We've been we've spent the morning here at Daytona Beach, and we could spend days here and, and still not run out of interesting things to see uh, on this campus. But Daytona Beach is only part of the Embry Riddle ecosystem. So, what can give us a, a quick overview of the, of the of the rest of it? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So there's uh, as you said earlier, there's seven thousand students here in Daytona Beach. Um, we also have a campus in Prescott, Arizona, north of Phoenix, about an hour and a half by by uh, car. Um, we have uh, similar programs there. About half the students, about 3,000. Um, we also have a pretty significant college of security and intelligence there, which, uh, which is really, uh, I think, a, you know, a, a product of sort of the post-9-11 uh, interest in security and safety in, in, in our field. Uh, that, that has grown to a pretty nice uh, program. We hire a lot of people there with uh, with twenty thirty years of experience in the intelligence world, and so that's a that's a little different out there in terms of what it offers. Uh, we have a campus in Singapore. Um, we we view that as a good location to be, given its proximity to uh, the the uh, Pacific Rim population. Um, we like to tell people that if you take a flight of equivalent length as you know, say from Washington to L.A., if you took that same flight from Singapore, you effectively can reach what is it, a quarter of the world's population or something. And so for us to be there and to be in a, an aviation-rich environment is, is important. So we have a, a campus there. Uh, and then we have what's called our worldwide campus, which uh, really is, has, has migrated over the last probably 30 years to be mostly online. It's about 90% online now. And uh, that serves another 23,000 students around the world, primarily working adults, I would say. Um, about half of those are military. And uh, um, it's uh, it's highly ranked. It's number one by U.S. News and World Report for online bachelor's degrees. It's incredibly well run. It's run out of Daytona Beach, but uh, it's a distributed network. We have people all over the world who teach for us. Uh, we have uh, students living all over the world, and and it's I think it's a, it's going to that part is going to continue to grow as the interest in um, learning beyond the traditional campus uh, grows, um, not just in the U.S. but across the world. We talked a little bit about the flight train. There's so much flight training done here in Central Florida. It would be difficult for you to to add capacity here. So as you look five, ten years down the road, where do you see Embry-Riddle growing? Not just in the in the flight training arena, but where do you see it growing or where do you see some emerging needs that the university can fill that the industry may have? Yeah, so as we look, particularly at the question of flight training, uh, we are, in fact, uh, at capacity in Daytona Beach right now. It's um, it, there, There's limited airspace. There's a lot of airplanes, as you've noticed. Um, and um, and we just, you know, we have a huge program here, but it's about as big as we can get uh, and still uh, keep it as safe and as professional as we want to. Uh, we have capacity to grow in Arizona 
Arizona. So we're we're uh, going to continue to uh, to focus on that as a growth area, um, both in uh, the um, professional uh, piloting, the aeronautical science programs, but also in other areas as well. That campus has the ability to grow, so we'll look at that. And then, of course, our Singapore campus, uh, we think that's going to grow as well. Um, you know, we, we've set a number. Right now, we're at about 600 students in Singapore. We have now the authority to recruit from uh, non-Singaporeans. So in other words, we can we can bring students in from uh, Vietnam, Thailand, kind of the developing areas over there. And uh, that's where most of the growth is occurring, actually, in Singapore. And then we have a, a, a reasonable presence in Brazil as well with the, um, with the air, aviation industry in, in Brazil. And, um, and then, uh, you know, scattered um, areas around uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, etc. But the biggest area probably right now is, uh, is our Prescott campus. Unique opportunity or unique uh, uh, relationship with the Brazilian industry that's partially tied to Embry Riddle's history, but but training uh, rapidly training airline managers down there, uh, it, it, unique program that's I guess two three four years old something like that. Do you see opportunity to do that in other emerging markets, or have you been approached? I think uh, so. The short answer is yes. We get approached um, on these issues. Uh, the short answer is yes because uh, what you're seeing in Brazil is actually a pretty good model for areas where the aviation industry is uh, is emerging, is growing. And um, with that, uh, not only do you need the entry-level uh, individuals, uh, whether it's in operations or the business side of it, you need individuals that, that can manage the upper-level uh, type of, of um, executives. And so we offer that as part of our programming with the airlines in Brazil. We have a program to help sort of take uh, that mid-level um, person that's on the fast track and get them ready to move from uh, perhaps a, they could be a captain down there, they could be uh, working in the back office and the business side of it, but getting them ready to move up to that next level of what it takes to be a successful airline. And uh, that program's going incredibly well. And um, we see that in other parts of the world as well, as you, as you probably as you start to see the 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 aviation uh, business growing, which we know is is really, um, you know, there's parts of the world where it will grow and is growing, um, making sure that we have individuals who can actually run it at that next level. And uh, so we're there to provide uh, what I would call professional education um, for that uh, mid-level uh, manager. So we'll, we'll see that growing as well. It's a great story. Dr. Butler, we have a lot of younger listeners to the Check 6 podcast, so I'm going to ask the final question for them. What can a graduate of Embry-Riddle uh, expect to make in salary coming out as, as a pilot or an MRO technician or an aerospace engineer? Uh, I would say it's, it's all over the map in terms of the different disciplines you've mentioned. I would say that it's incredibly competitive right now. Uh, you know, some numbers that you might see, you know, engineering, for example, you know, they're, right now they're starting at around 70,000. And again, this, this number will probably be outdated by the time this is uh, produced. But, um, you know, they're starting around 70,000. What I tell students in those areas is that the, um, you know, it's not just the degree, because you can get a degree in hundreds of schools around the country. Um, It's the work experience. So we have a lot of internships available for students. It's also having um, these skills that go beyond the technology. So business skills, data skills will really up their value down the road. In the piloting side of it, you know, again, it depends what, what pathway they take. What I would tell you is that the numbers have gone up significantly just in the last five to ten years when they when they come out into the um, into their first uh, professional job. Maintenance, the same thing. Um, you know, they're they're 
being recruited right out of uh, the classroom, basically, and and being being able to get into those tracks right away. So I would tell you right now, it's it's on the upward swing. It's it's looking really good. Um, but more importantly than the money, it's the industry. I, I I'd like to tell companies that that come here, you know, that when you hire our students, um, you know, they're they're going to go home from work um, and think about those problems they were working on, you know, because they they love the industry. I mean, you can you can sense it when you talk to students. They they're out here right now in the lobby, you know, watching the launch that's going to happen in about a half hour. They're ready to read their aviation week, whatever it is. I mean, they're they're interested in the industry, and so um, it's that added value, I think, of of what they're going to do beyond the nine to five job, and and that's uh, that that resonates really well, and it's a it's a true statement. It's not just a sales pitch. Well, Doctor Butler, we appreciate you taking the time to join us, and, and we're looking forward to come back and visit again. Thank you. That's a wrap for this week's Check 6 podcast, now available for download on iTunes. Join us again next week for another Check 6.